welcome to a special episode of Everybody Gay, Everybody Slay. A queer exploration of Christmas. With your host, Speak Pirate, a.k.a. Joanna. I'm here, I'm queer, and we're going to talk about Rudolph. <laughs> and your other host, Elsio123, a.k.a. Vina, a proud member of the Church of Vander Jesus, um, who, who did die for our sins in the PLL verse. So, you know, it's, it's appropriate. I think I said that same thing last year, but it's still true. <laughs> it is. It totally is. Um, today we are going to be talking about the, uh, the, I think 1960 something, 1964, I think, uh, TV special Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, which may seem like a strange thing for us to be talking about, but oh boy, this is a special that is full of so much queer subtext. Um, and it just seemed really like a fun thing for us to talk about and release as a little holiday special of our own. Yes. Uh, Vina had previously discussed to me the fact that she thought that Rudolph was a big metaphor for queerness. And I was like, oh, yeah, I could see that. I remembered like a couple things about it. But then I rewatched it. And wow. Yes. Um, we're here. We're queer. And we're red nosed reindeer. <laughs> yes. Yes. I think I think, you know, people will soon be identifying as 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 a red nosed reindeer because it really there's so much there's so much uh, there's so much good stuff with Rudolph. Yes, yes. So uh, Burl Ives is kind of the narrator of the, the narrator and the singer uh, associated with the special. He like voices a character called Sam the Snowman who kind of tells the story and, and moves the action along. Um, mm-hmm. But and uh, I think that a lot of uh, a lot of original like the, the version of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer that you hear on the radio the most is from this particular special and also the uh, the final song that they do, the uh, the holiday song, like a lot of Burl Ives Christmas standards are part of this special. Yes. Yeah. Um, a Holly Jolly Christmas is one of them. Um, the the song that the island of Miss that the toys on the island of Misfit Toys sing the most wonderful day of the year is kind of a Christmas standard. Um, yeah, this is, this special is very, I mean, this was a big, this was a big, a big deal. I was reading earlier that this was one of the, the first times that Mrs. Claus had been portrayed in any kind of media as like her own character. So, um, yeah, I guess, I guess that this is like a feminist story too. Oh, that's so interesting. Uh, well, I was kind of interested, uh, Mrs. Claus in this, uh, in this particular special, like, this is the only Mrs. Claus I've really seen where she doesn't also have white hair. Like, she has, oh, she yeah. has dark hair, and she's, like, uh, she has kind of a, kind of a, a pointed face. She sort of looks like, uh, she sort of looks like American Gothic at the North Pole is how I would describe her uh, general gestalt in this <laughs> particular special. Um, but this is a, this is a, a great story. So the, the overarching uh, the overarching plot is that Rudolph is born. Uh, he is the son of Donner, uh, who is like already a a big shot in the reindeer world of pulling Santa's sleigh. Uh, but Rudolph, uh, his his nose glows red. He's not like the other reindeer who just have regular non-glowing black noses. And uh, Santa sees Rudolph's little nose glowing, and Donner is like so embarrassed, and he's like oh no, and Santa says, well, you know, I'm sure he's going to grow out of it, uh, which 
spoiler alert, he doesn't. Yes, yes. And um, Rudolph kind of attempts to, well, so Donner decides that Rudolph, when he goes off to school, he needs to hide his nose. And, um, this little thing that goes over Rudolph's red nose. And when Rudolph says it's not comfortable, Donner tells him that there are more important things than comfort, like self-respect. Um, and when Rudolph goes off to school, he is a very good jumper. He's like the best, the best flying reindeer of any of them. Um, but when he is wrestling with a fellow reindeer, his little nose cover comes off and everybody sees his glowing red nose. And it's like the scene in Carrie when they're throwing the tampons because they all like stand around and jeer at him. And the uh, very sort of patriarchal coach announces that Rudolph is no longer welcome to play in any of their reindeer games. Yeah, the coach who's totally styled to look like a gym teacher. Uh, yes. the, the coach is Comet the reindeer. And yeah, so it's like the gym teacher who's being the enforcer of like gender norms, which I feel like, huh, how fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. Um, but Rudolph also meets... Uh, like the only female reindeer besides Rudolph's mother that we really meet in this movie, which is Clarice, um, who is, I feel like, kind of um, styled like a drag queen. <laughs> She's got yes. giant eyelashes, a really, um, a very like, almost um, over the toply feminine little bow that she wears in her hair and a very, very high pitched breathy voice. Um, and Clarice is like the only the only deer who does not judge Rudolph and thinks that Rudolph's nose um, is 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 nice. And in fact, she says it's she prefers that to the the silly false one that he wears. Um, but when her father learns of Rudolph's nose, he forbids Clarice from being around him. Yes, all of the parents in this movie are so mean in the beginning. Like, Donner is really mean, and Clarice's dad is really mean. Uh, and I feel like, uh, yeah, I, I feel like that's uh, pretty standard uh, with the parents of, of queer kids. And then we get a side plot where we get a little blonde elf who, PLL connection, his actual name in the movie is Hermie. <laughs> Hermie the elf who is, uh, he's blonde, he has hair, which all of the other male elves in the movie are bald. The only elves with hair are Hermie and the girl elves. Uh, and Hermie, who I feel like he's, um, obviously this didn't exist yet, so it's like what came first, the chicken or the egg, but he's styled in a way that I would describe as like that Carson guy on Queer Eye, like, if you put Hermie the Elf on, on Queer Eye, I feel like he would fit right in. But anyway, he yeah. is not like the other elves because he does not want to make toys. He wants to be a dentist, which gets him the same treatment as having a red nose. All of the other elves are, like, horrified. And his, I don't know if it's his dad or his supervisor elf, is, like, really hard on him and, uh, and, and mocks him for having a dream that is different from everybody else's dream. Yes. Yeah. Hermie, Hermie, um, also like his facial features and everything about him. He looks a lot more like the girl elves than like the boy elves. Um, he's, he has a pretty high feminine voice. Um, and 
I, I, but I have questions about sort of the like the structure of the the elves in this movie because they keep telling him that he's going to get fired if he like doesn't <laughs> shape up and be a better elf. But it's also sort of implied that elves are born into this line of work. Um, and so it doesn't really seem like a job that he would be fired from or that he's getting any like money from or anything like that. Like it seems like it's just sort of his destiny. Uh, so that's that's a bit unclear. Well, also, he doesn't want to make toys. So I don't see where firing him from his gig making toys would be a terrible punishment. Like the whole reason that you're arguing is because he said he didn't want to do this. He wanted to be a dentist. Yes. Yeah. And and pretty much all of the other elves look the same, except for a weirdly one boy elf who kind of looks like Stephen Tabalowski. Like he's mm. really he's really tall and has glasses and is just kind of awkward. Um, but yes, there's, there's all of these like sort of toxic patriarchal figures in this movie because you have Donner, Rudolph's dad, you have the, like the guy who's in charge of the elves. And then you have Santa who himself is like very sort of, um, you know, critical and, and kind of distracted and moody and, um, Mrs. Claus is constantly like kind of having to take care of him and feed him. Um, and, and really like Santa is the villain of this movie, I think. Oh, that's so, that's so interesting, but you, you are kind of, you are kind of right. Um, well, Santa, like there, the, one of the first scenes that Santa is in is when he's sitting down to dinner with Mrs. Claus and she's like, why you haven't eaten a bite? And he's like, I'm just so distracted. I'm stressed with all this Christmas coming up. And it's like, well, why? What are you doing? The elves are doing all of your work. The reindeer are going to pull your... Like, I, I have a lot of questions about what exactly Santa is filling his time with. I think that he could benefit from, like, a management handbook of some kind or or a, a course that he might want to go through. Well, at the end of the movie, we see his system for delivering toys. He's not even getting out of the sleigh and going down the chimney. He has the elf... No. Sending toys down on little umbrellas. No, he's clearly a figurehead. Um, and I, I think he needs to really start reading Ask a Manager. That's my that's my take. <laughs> I think I think that's a good call. I think that's a good call. Um, but there's sort of this, I feel like there's sort of this sense of um like I feel like this movie could also be read as like a subtle criticism of capitalism in a way, because I feel like there's this whole kind of dynamic where these toxic structures that are in place that are all about just producing and what you can kind of produce keep failing people because they, they fail Hermie, they fail Rudolph, and it just keeps getting passed down, you know, from from Santa to Donner you know, from Santa to the coach to Donner, like just the the spirals of sort of like shame and, and pushing conformity. Yeah, yeah, I definitely, definitely agree. Um, so eventually after, after all, you know, like they're kind of going on their individual journeys and then the journey of Hermie the elf and Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer uh, kind of merge together and they go... Um, they go off together uh, to try and, you know, find a place where they might fit in a little bit better. Right. And they sing they sing the song about being misfits, which is a, a common refrain in the movie, being a misfit, feeling like a misfit. You know, why don't I fit in? What like there's nothing wrong with me? Why? You know, 
I'm not, I'm not stupid. I'm not a nitwit. I should be able to fit in. Um, and they've sort of each sung that song individually up to this point, And then they finally um, are able to sing the song together as they go off on their journey. Yes. Um, that actually reminded me a little bit of the scene in Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, the opening number uh, from the final season when Rebecca is in jail and everybody oh. is singing their their song. No one um, else is singing my song. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I love that Reminded song. Me of that. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Um, so what what do you make of this character that they meet on their journey? They meet this character, Yukon Cornelius, who is kind of a sort of a nomadic character. He's this guy who goes around um, in his sled pulled by dogs. Um, searching for silver and gold uh, and and trying to avoid the the abominable snowman. Well, he's kind of the manliest man in the movie, but he also has the least toxic masculinity. He is a character who does not try to change either of them. Uh, He just kind of, he seems like he's sort of, he's sort of a lonely fellow who's happy to have them along for company. Yeah, I agree. I think... um, there's you could see him as representing like a queer character who has sort of gone off and forged his own life for himself and it's you know it's it's maybe not very conventional maybe he has like his found family with his little dogs and it's sort of separate from the rest of society but he's he's happy and he's living his life which i think is in contrast to the abominable snowman who they sometimes call the bumble who I feel like could be could kind of um, represent like a, a queer character who gets cast out by society and almost um, becomes in some ways like the monster that he's been told that he is his whole life. Oh, that's so interesting uh, because they spend a lot of time trying to avoid the bumble. Like that's yeah. a big, like that they don't want to attract his attention. They don't want to. I actually was wondering if the bumble, like there's a, a pivotal scene at the end where they are, um like they're in the cave and the bumble is like threatening and stuff and i wondered if the bumble was maybe a a metaphor for homophobia because it it starts out that like because of homophobia the queers get cast out like the elf can't be an elf and uh rudolph can't be a, a reindeer uh so it starts out as like well it's just supposed to like get these <laughs> undesirable elements away from us but then at the end like the bumble is threatening like it's threatening uh clarice and it's threatening Mm -hmm. mrs donner and it's like so it's like it starts out you think it's only going to hurt the queer people that you're ostracizing Mm -hmm. but in fact it hurts everyone like it hurts everyone because then you don't have those pieces of your world that you threw aside for being different oh i like that interpretation a lot too yeah, I you know, the bumble, the bumble can can mean many different things. Well, and then there's I mean, we'll get to it, but the horrifying part when they take the bumble's teeth out, which <laughs> oh my god. Truly a a a horror element in this children's Christmas special. Uh, um but before we get there, so so Yukon and and Rudolph and um Hermie, they all kind of go on their journey. They have an encounter where they're almost they're almost uh, captured by the bumble, and Rudolph's shiny nose is somewhat to blame. Um, they eventually escape and they land on this island of misfit toys. Yes, the island of misfit toys. I feel like 
is mm-hmm. is pretty clearly like a a gay bar slash a camp slash like queer community situation because it's all of these toys that like I think the first one that they meet it looks like a jack in the box but its name is Charlie so it's a Charlie yeah. in the box and nobody wants nobody wants that uh, and there's like an elephant who has polka dots uh, and like nobody wants this polka dotted elephant. And well, there's a doll. There's something wrong with a doll, but I don't remember what it is. That's always the question. Every single year when I watch this movie, I say, what is wrong with that doll? Because we don't really know. Apparently, it's a lesbian. <laughs> the doll is a lesbian. You heard it here first. Um, no, I just. <laughs> I'm, she, why she's so sad is that there's no other lesbian dolls on the island. Um, right. No, I read, I guess that apparently one of the producers of the movie said many years later that it's supposed to be that the doll is depressed because she was abandoned by the child who she used to belong to. So, oh, there's like a whole Toy Story backstory exactly, to that doll. Then. Exactly. Mm. Um, but there's also a water pistol that shoots grape jelly and a choo choo <laughs> with square wheels on its caboose and a cowboy who is riding the back of an ostrich. So there's lots of there's lots of toys that are just just a little bit too different to be accepted by, you know, the 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 straight society of of children out there in the world. Um, And this land is ruled over this, I'm going to say, sort of RuPaul like figure (laughs) of this flying lion who is quite regal and sort of is the sort of protector of the island and the protector of the toys although I feel like we even get a get a little uh a little thing about kind of exclusion even within the queer community because they say he said this lion says at one point that Yukon Hermie and Rudolph cannot stay on the island because they might be misfits but they are not toys yes yes um and it's like they want to stay there because they have kind of found a place where they belong, like where they're not ostracized for being different because everybody is different. Exactly. Exactly. And so where do they end up staying when they are eventually accepted in this island? They stay in a little pink house in one big pink bed all together. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Uh, So yeah, a lot of a lot of definitely like very queer, very feminine signifiers in this movie. Uh, they are planning to all leave together the following day, but Rudolph worried that his nose is going to give away their location to the abominable snowman once again, uh, takes off on an ice floe by himself uh, to try to protect his friends. So it's like a situation of like, even when you found community, uh, sometimes you feel like maybe you don't deserve that community, no matter what your friends actually have to say about it. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's very good. That's very good. Um, yes. And then they, there's sort of this nebulous passage of time where you're like, was it a week? Was it a year? Was it like five years where suddenly Rudolph has like grown up considerably, um, and sort of lived as a loner, but kind of made some friends along the way. Um, which also feels very like potentially very metaphorical for the queer experience. Um, and suddenly he, what, what is the catalyst for him deciding to return home? He just wants to. Oh, uh, well, the, the, 
the toys on the Island of Misfit Toys had wanted him to tell Santa about them, about how much they want to go to, like, kids who will love and cherish them. Um, Right. So he, like, I I think he feels like that's what he then needs to do. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's right. Um, Yeah, and he returns home, but he finds out that his parents and Clarice have been gone looking for him for months. Yes, because it turns out that they realized that casting him out like a bunch of dicks was not <laughs> the right thing to do. Yes, yeah, that they 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 feel bad. Although daughter, like I don't know, later daughter will apologize, and it's a real non-apology apology. He's like, "I'm sorry that you felt bad about what I said, but I'm not going to like say what I said that was bad." I don't know. Nobody can really admit that they're wrong here. Yeah, that's true. But I think at the end, doesn't like when Rudolph is leading the sleigh, I think Donner is still on the ground because he's like, that's my that's my son or whatever. And uh, I felt like, well, yeah, and I'm glad that you're not getting to drive the sleigh, you big jerk. (laughs) Well, I also have questions and much like the structure of the elves, I have questions about the structure of the reindeer, because is it like every reindeer like it's just the children of the former reindeer? Like, is it just this... What is the system here? Does Does Santa own the elves and the reindeer? Is is that what's... Like, the, the snowman at the beginning says that Santa lives in a castle, which is, like, the only castle. So is, like, is Santa the king and all these people are, like, his subjects or his serfs or his, like, his slave labor force? What's going on here? What is like if you're if you're not selected to to be part of Santa's sleigh team as a reindeer, what's left for you? I mean, I guess I guess you just become the 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 jerk coach. Maybe that's why Comet was so mean. Oh, maybe, maybe. I mean, I I assumed you were thus an ornamental reindeer. Like maybe you go and you like they have that whole forest of Christmas trees. I'm sure those don't decorate themselves. You might like have to go and and work in the Christmas tree field. <laughs> You have to like go to to like you know like Christmas parties and pose for pictures and stuff yeah, like you that. Pet, petting zoos is like the <laughs> lowest, like the lowest that a reindeer can fall. <laughs> yeah, and if you're a girl reindeer, I mean, forget it. You're just Rudolph's mom doesn't even have a name. I'm calling her Mrs. Donner because like we know his dad's name is Donner, but yeah. Well, yeah, and there's like multiple lines. I mean. Again, this was made in 1964, and there's multiple lines where it's like, they had to get the women folk back to camp before their <laughs> periods ruined everything. <laughs> they do say they have to get the women folk back to camp, which is hilarious because Rudolph's mom and Clarice have been like on this adventure looking for him for like quite some time, like without, <laughs> you know, w- without needing uh, the men folk to like take care of them. But be that as exactly. it may. I, exactly, exactly. Um, yes, because what should Rudolph find when he goes looking? But his mother and Clarice and his, is his father there too? Is Donner there too? I don't remember. If he is, he's not very useful. No, he's really not. And they're being, um, they're being threatened by the Abominable. Clarice is like in the Abominable's clutches and he's presumably about to eat her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. And so uh, he's about to eat Clarice and then Rudolph like comes in and like he's sort of engaging with the abominable snowman to try to like draw up his attention. And fortunately, like right when all seems lost, like it seems like the abominable is just going to like 
you know, make a snack out of all of the reindeer, uh, who should arrive but Rudolph's uh, gay buddies, Yukon Jack and Hermie the Elf. Yes, and they come up with this really horrific plan, which (laughs) is that Hermie is going to pretend to be a pig and lure the abominable outside, and Yukon Cornelius is going to drop a bunch of, like, ice blocks on uh, the abominable's head to knock the abominable out, and then Hermie is going to take all of his teeth out. Oh, my goodness. Um, which, in some ways, maybe could be, like, a metaphor for, um, you know, queer people trying to become more, like, palatable to, to the straight world. You know, yeah, yeah, or or being defanged. Uh, sure. But, uh, this is a plan. It's a yeah, zany it's plan, like... but it works. Like in in this particular Christmas special, it works. Now, I don't really know. I guess maybe pigs are just a favorite of the abominable snowman. I feel like if I were an abominable snowman, I, I I'm assuming that I would not be a vegetarian in that case. <laughs> like. My meal options would probably be much more limited. But um, if I were an abominable snowman, I think having, like, several reindeer to snack on would probably be better than a pig. But, you know, to each their own. You do you, Bumble. Yeah. 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 Maybe the Bumble is just very, like, whatever the new thing is. You know, that's what he wants. Um, But I have to say, yes, this is a zany plan that works better than any liar's plan. True. Very true. Yeah. Maybe the liars should have just tried to, like, defang A at some point. Oh, God, that's that's a horrifying thought. <laughs> well, yeah, I think when it comes to dental work and surgery, A really kind of had it over on them, so. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Oof. Yes. Yeah. A, a really, A really enjoyed a, a dental, a dental, a dental emergency. <laughs> uh, yeah, go ahead. Well, no, so uh, then once the bumble is defanged, uh, he's not really a risk anymore because he can't eat them because he doesn't have teeth. Uh, And as the bumble is still adjusting to this new reality, uh, Cornelius, like, pushes him and pushes him and pushes him, and they both go tumbling over the side of this mountain, which I felt like is another, like, homophobia slash toxic masculinity uh, where, like, you, like, when you're, in this situation, this is like a, uh, this is like when Jenna says about Spencer that she doesn't want Spencer Hastings to bully her anymore, and it's like very foreign to our experience that Spencer is the bully. But like, all all throughout this hour long special, everyone has been running from the Abominable uh, because the Abominable is the threat. But now that the Abominable isn't a threat anymore, all of a sudden Cornelius starts kind of bullying the abominable like he is pushing him and pushing him and then guess what happens you both fall over the side of the mountain oh that is that is really good that is really true you know i just realized the abominable is jenna because (laughs) the abominable has a sense well i guess teeth aren't a sense but you know go with me here taken away by the quote-unquote heroes of the story and then still gets blamed for it <laughs> that's and so true the way yeah, that they're, they, they're scared of the abominable like they're exactly scared of Jenna. <laughs> they, they run away the abominable has like a sound that that he makes when he approaches that they that makes them all very scared much like jenna's tap 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 it's true <laughs> yeah very true 
Yes, the abominable the abominable snowman is Jenna Marshall. <laughs> you you heard it here first. We've solved it. Um, so everybody is very sad that their friend Yukon has tumbled over the over a cliff. Um, but the women folk have to get back to Christmas Town, so uh, they all they all go back, um, and everybody just kind of apologizes to Rudolph and Hermie. They're they're just like, I mean, in a sort of like weak like. Sorry you felt that way, Rudolph way. Um, the, like, elf overseer apologizes, or doesn't really apologize to Hermie, but says that Hermie can open up a doll dentistry wing, which, like, what even would that be? But, okay. Um, and and Santa says that he, that he will find homes for the misfit toys here, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he's a... Uh... But then, of course, like the bad thing that happens is that there's this huge, huge storm that's blowing in that's going to be like the weather is going to be so thick that they're never going to make it out. But fortunately, Rudolph has this glowing red nose, which he'd previously been ostracized for, which now makes him indispensable because when his little nose glows, then he will be able to like be like a a beacon light for the sleigh. Yes, yes. And Santa has been so stressed out that it is like Christmas Eve and he is still really skinny. But the knowledge that Rudolph is going to be able to pull them through this through the, the fog and the snow, um be able to it's like so much that he gains like fifty pounds in a couple of hours. It's 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 pretty extreme. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think I think a, a, a fundamental flaw in the whole story of Rudolph, beyond just this special, but like the whole sort of myth mythos of Rudolph, if you will, is this idea that Rudolph gets acceptance because he can provide something for them. He doesn't get acceptance because he is just deserving of acceptance and respect as a living being. He 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 has to sort of earn it, and then once once he is considered valuable. Um, he is he is respected as a member of their society. Yeah, I think that that's very I think that that's very interesting. Obviously, this would be a whole different story if everybody just like accepted differences from the beginning. Um, but yeah, it's sort of like it, it's sort of like the idea, um, you know, that to be like a good gay person, you have to fit in society's definition of what that looks like, whether it means uh, to be like, just like the straight people, just with like this one difference of who you sleep with and who you love, or whether it means like, um, you know, or, or like, um, I'm trying to think like the idea of um, like a, a super crip, like someone who is, uh, who is like, less physically able but like then succeeds like oh like Oster Pistorius for example uh mm. who who was running in the Olympics and then later wound up killing his girlfriend um but like you know someone who is like held up uh as, as being like this uh person who is like really overcome a lot of the odds uh and I think mm-hmm. that that's basically what what the Rudolph story is like a, a map for uh, you can be accepted now because you've done so well by our standard. I think that's a really good point. I think that's a really good point. And I, I also think that there's some parallels to like the idea of um, sort of the commodification of of queer identity. Like, you know, the the 
the brands at Pride on, you know, during Pride Month selling Pride shirts and none of that money actually going into supporting LGBT causes, that kind of thing. Well, yeah. And when when the Island of Misfit Toy says that they can't stay there permanently, I was thinking, I mean, I, I definitely don't think this was in the minds of the creators of the special when they were making it. But I was thinking of trans exclusion, where it's yes. like, it's like, okay, we're all different. But you guys are like, people saying you guys are too different, even for us. So we're not going to like assist you all the way, all the way through this, which obviously that's a bad call uh, in, in the current political climate and also in the, <laughs> the realm of the misfit toys. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but in this story, Rudolph is able to get the, the toys or get the, get the sleigh, get Santa's sleigh to the Island of Misfit Toys. Um, and the toys are having like the saddest little campfire. They are just all sitting around. The little doll is crying. The little lesbian doll. She <laughs> says she hasn't any dreams left to dream. Um, and then just then Santa's sleigh arrives and they all, they all jump in to Santa's sleigh and are off to be delivered to the various children all around the world. Yes. Yes. So a happy ending, uh, a happy ending for everybody. Uh, I hope the little lesbian doll gets to go to a house with another little lesbian doll <laughs> or a bisexual doll. Uh, but yes, so that they can all live happily ever after. There we go. There we go. Um, yeah, it's 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 an interesting. I mean, it's this this movie. They really tie it up with a bow. Like they throw it back to Sam the Snowman, and he's like, "And as for the rest of the story," and then they just play the "He'll go down in history" line from from. Uh, from the song and then they do the song and it's like there you go we're we're out yeah yeah but it is nonetheless like it's an important story for the idea of what initially seems like it makes you different or what makes you an outcast is actually what defines who you are and makes you special Yes, yes. And that even though some of the particulars of how everything comes together might be sort of a little bit of strange messaging, it's very clear that the that the show is saying that Donner and the, the elf sort of the, the Hermes elf boss who were initially, you know, pushing for conformity, the movie is clearly saying that those characters are in the wrong, that conformity is not the, the solution allowing people to explore their own identity is um is what is right and sort of necessary for society to continue yeah yeah um rudolph actually i've I've maybe talked a little bit about this before uh when i was uh when i was in college uh shortly before i came out to my parents there was my mom loved the show touched by an angel she still loves that show um, which is like, you know, it's, it's a fairly cheesy, uh, you know, religious themed show that features this group of actual angels who are like sent on different missions every week. And, uh, my mom doesn't really know what shipping is, but she totally shipped Monica, the main character angel with Andrew, the angel of death. She really liked whenever they were both in an episode together to have sweet okay. little moments. But anyway, in 1986, there was an episode uh, I looked it up and it was called The Violin Lesson. And it was about this uh, gay guy who was dying of AIDS. Because, of course, in 1996, if you were a gay character on TV, you were almost guaranteed to be dying of AIDS. But that's what's mm-hmm. happening. He's dying of AIDS. He comes back home uh, to his family uh, and his family who was like previously rejected him for being gay. 
And the angels, their mission that week is to uh, make the father, who's been a real uh, donner bag of dicks, realize that he actually like loves his gay son. And there's a metaphor of the father's like a violin maker. And there was this piece of wood that had been like given to him when he found out he was having a son. But then there was like a flaw in the grain. So he never finished making that violin. And anyway, he like reconciles with his son. The son dies. And then the father makes the violin. He finishes making it. And it turns out the flaw looks like a Christmas tree. And so the flaw is what makes it special. And I feel mm-hmm. like that that is a, a problem. Like it's a problem that we're talking about flaws. But the angels are like, God, like God doesn't make mistakes. Like flaws are not part of his vocabulary. But it's a very similar message to Rudolph. And it's explicitly gay in that the thing that you originally think is a problem winds up being the thing that like makes this unique and special and something that should be like valued. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a great, that's a great call out. Yeah. I think that that's, I think that's really true. And I, you know, I think that a lot of Christmas themed stories like, um, you know, like Christmas Carol or it's a wonderful life or Rudolph have kind of this theme of, the one person who doesn't feel significant or doesn't feel like they can be a positive influence on the people around them ends up actually um, affecting a tremendous amount of really positive change. Um, And what I think is really interesting about um, all three of those stories, but I think especially actually both It's a Wonderful Life and Christmas Carol is that they're sort of in some ways more relevant now than they've been, you know, historically, like some of the themes in, in those stories are so, um, so important for us to see now. Um, and, and also those are two stories that, that deal explicitly with like economics and how how economy is, um, structured to, to benefit certain people and really, uh, disenfranchise others. So, uh, yeah, I think it, I think it's interesting that, that three of these Christmas stories have are, are so themed around that idea of like one one person can can make a difference. Yeah, I definitely think uh, I definitely think that that's true. And just that the idea like the whole the whole idea ostensibly behind Christmas is about like, you know, love for your fellow humans and uh, instead of crass commercialism. Uh, which is, you know, Santa kind of walks a, a very fine line between that, I feel like. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's always interesting to me that Santa does not come across very well in this movie. Um, he's, he's just kind of, he's just kind of this like difficult old man. Well, yeah, but Santa is also like when Santa decides that Rudolph is okay, like no one can gainsay him. But that also means that if Santa had been okay with Rudolph from the beginning, the whole like the whole thing could have been avoided. He could have just been like, well, we have red nosed reindeer now. It's fine. Right. I mean, you yeah, because clearly there's there's there was a precedent set by Santa of like what the right kind of reindeer is and what the wrong kind of reindeer is. Right. And and right. what the right kind of elf and the wrong kind of elf is as well. Yeah. Agree. Agree. Oh man. Do we have more to say about Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer? No, I think we're I think I think we've covered it. I think it is a super, super queer thing. I think so too. I'm I'm so I'm so glad that you were you were willing to take this journey with me because um, yeah, I, I love I love the Rudolph story. Um, I think it's 
I think it's really, um, it's really great. I think it's a really great story to talk about. It is, it is. And, uh, if, if we're done with Rudolph, I just want to mention, uh, I don't know if you've seen, uh, the Ashley Benson's 30th birthday stuff that's going around on uh, Instagram. I have not. Oh my goodness. Well, uh, her, her girlfriend, whose name you're so much better at saying than I am. Oh, Cara Delevingne. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, she posted uh, a gallery of photos, including a picture of the two of them in a bathtub uh, and just had this gushing Instagram post. There's so much I could say, but something I love and cherish most about us is that I don't need to because you know, and that's all that matters. It's you and me, which is my favorite, my safe place. You let me be silly. You let me be wild. You keep me free, secure, and curious. And they went off on a vacation to morocco together oh well isn't that a lovely a lovely way to celebrate the holidays with those two i i I hope they i hope that ashley had a wonderful birthday i hope that they have just a, a a beautiful holiday together um yeah that's 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 wonderful that's wonderful yeah i i really love the two of them uh and it was you know it was a big year for queer pll ashley came out uh tyler uh, who played Caleb came out as yes. as bisexual. So, um, you know, pretty pretty soon it'll be the rest of the cast. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll do like a two a year thing. I'm I'm <laughs> I'm pulling for Troy in next year. <laughs> Troy in 2020. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's 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 awesome. That's awesome. Well, good for good for them. Happy birthday, Ashley. Um, that's great. That's great. Uh, yeah, and this is, this will be our, we'll have, I think, another episode before the end of the year, but this will be our last, our last episode before, before Christmas. This is definitely our Christmas special. Yes, yes. Uh, why do you think that PLL did so many Halloween episodes, but only one Christmas episode? That's a great question. Um, I think because just probably the timing of when they were on and off the air, Mm -hmm. um, because they, they would always do the weird I, I think that we've not really talked about much but is a weird thing is that PLL always aired in half seasons um, which most shows don't do but that's how PLL was um, and so I think that they were often off during Christmas but I also think that because they were like kind of a spooky show um, Halloween maybe felt more kind of more more tonally appropriate what do you think? Well, yeah, that's true. But the the episode that they did do that was Christmas was very spooky with yes. Mona and the, the you know as the ghost. And I think that you know I think there are lots of Christmas stories that can be, uh, you know, ghost stories or creepy. Like the whole idea of it's a wonderful life. Where what if yes. you'd never been born? Like I would have loved to have seen a, it's a wonderful life themed episode where it was like what if they never met Allison? Yes, I t- I think that would have been wonderful. I I I would have loved that. Uh, yeah, and I, I do think a lot of these Christmas stories are about kind of um, reckoning with one's own identity, you know, and, mm-hmm. and reckon, reckoning with, um, you know, what would life be like if I was dead or if I hadn't been born or if these things had been different. And I think that that inherently is psychologically scary in a way that I, at, in PLL's best moments, I think that they really leaned into that, that psychological spookiness. Um yeah, I, I, I would have loved to like a maybe more of like a shadow play, like not necessarily noir, but like 
more stylized, a more stylized Christmas episode, I think could have been really fun. Um, if they had like done a full blown Christmas musical episode. Oh, what a gift. Really fun. That could have been. Oh really man. I'm so bummed that we never got a Christmas, uh, like a musical episode full stop that would have let Mona just sing like for an entire hour. That would, I would have watched that so many times. Would you have wanted it to be original music or covers? Oh, I, I would have either way. I feel like would have been a delight. Yeah, I agree. I agree. If they had like gotten, you know, Rachel Bloom in for an episode. And oh man. Music. Yes. That would have been really fun. Um, but our next, our next main show episode will be crazy, which is the introduction of one CC Drake slash Charlotte De Laurentiis. Um, yeah, super excited to talk about that one. Yes. I can't think of anything better than starting the new year off with some Charlotte. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yes. Yeah, so if you have thoughts on Rudolph, if you have thoughts of like, if you're like more of a Frosty fan or like Char- Charlie Brown Christmas, if you have theories on how those stories are really queer, we'd love to hear that. You can send us an email, oh. everybody, a podcast at gmail.com. I have, I have a, a story about how Charlie Brown Christmas is a little bit queer, which is that a lot of people read Peppermint Patty and Marcy as gay because, uh, for example, Marcy's always calling her sir and, right. uh, you know, they, they're always together, the two of them. Uh, and I read a biography of Charles Schultz that said that he based Peppermint Patty off of his favorite cousin from when he was growing up. And as an adult, that cousin was in a partnership with another woman. So uh-huh. FYI, next time you watch the Peanuts uh, Christmas or Thanksgiving or anything specials, uh, know that Peppermint Patty grows up to be gay. Peppermint Patty, confirmed lesbian, along with the little doll. <laughs> Island of Breaking news. Heard Breaking it here first. News. Yes. Um, well, that is that is great information. If you have if you have more tidbits like that, we'd love to hear from you. You can send us an email, everybodyapodcast at gmail.com. You can check out our Instagram at everybodyapodcast or send in a rating and review on iTunes. We would appreciate it. Um yeah, it's so fun to to close out the year and close out the holidays with some with both some Rudolph and some PLL. I'm so happy to be to be continuing on. Yeah, yeah. Everybody, take care. Have a great holiday season, and uh, we'll have another episode for you next week. Yes. Till then.